Welcome back for another edition of EUP. This is our birthday month. We're celebrating 35 years broadcast. Happy birthday to us. So I've been extremely busy, Jim, this last week. I feel like the rock star that he says from the stage, what city is this? What, what day of the week is this? As Ed McMahon would say, how busy are you? Real busy. So we've got a great show for folks today, Jim. This is our annual Ghost Stories yeah. show. And we're celebrating Halloween just a little bit early so we can catch that before the occurrence. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Weather Guy... What have you to say about weather next week here? Uh, nice day today, but it's going to get colder. And? And actually, I had a, there was a nice coating of frost yesterday. And uh, I, I went out uh, at my workplace. I went out for break at about 8.30. And, uh, you know, we're just outside of town. And there was still, even where the sun was shining, there was a decent coating of frost. So it's, uh, I think fall is here, and the leaves are coming down. Well, if you won't say the S word, then I will. Because <laughs> there's possibilities Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the S word. Yeah, and I'm bad. I haven't got the forecast up yet here. So, so my, my goodness, my goodness, yeah. we, were just, we had this wonderful fall, and uh, even if we have um, a little bit of uh, snow... Unless it really gets colder and stays cold, it won't last long. Mm-hmm. It has been a beautiful fall. We are so lucky to live here. And and be prepared for all the people that have to relearn how to drive in it. <laughs> Give everybody plenty of space. Okay, this is our annual Ghost Stories show. We're going to kick off the show with Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. And she should be right there. Hi, Charlene. Good morning. Hey, what's going on? Uh, we're ready for a busy day here at Capital Humane Society. Great animals, looking for homes, really cute and friendly animals. So we hope a lot of families will be stopping in to adopt. And, of course, you're not talking about the staff there, are you? <laughs> animals, no. You have actual four-legged critters. We do. Dogs, cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, and we have a ferret. A ferret. Aren't those fun? <laughs> I just saw a post uh uh, I haven't validated it yet, but it, it looked fun. There was a guy on Facebook that apparently was uh, fairly well-to-do, and he just had his older senior dog pass. So he went to the local Humane Society and adopted every single one of the older senior pets. Oh. And so it showed him with dogs and cats and even a small pig. <laughs> in oh, I, I hope he has a nice place in the country. Hey, the 33rd annual Tails and Ties dinner is sold out, and so that's going to be November 8th. What other activities are, are taking place? I think there's pet pictures with Santa, right? You are right. That will be coming up um, November 15th and 19th, and you would call Camp Bow Wow to make an appointment <laughs> to meet Santa. And their information is posted to our website. And then we also have um, a dine-in fundraiser. Those are always great. So it's at Dawn and Millie's November 20th. And you can uh, help Capital Humane Society. um, Just let them mention them at the rest or mention us at the restaurant. And they will donate 20%. 
Wow, and kudos to your event manager this year. You guys have been hopping. Yes, you're you are right. He's doing a great job. Okay, so, we've got cats, Jim, for yeah, adoption cats. here. And I'm betting that Shirley's got some great cats for adoption. I do. I was going to start with Izzy. <laughs> and Izzy's so pretty. Three years old, domestic, medium hair, bright oh, and yeah. beautiful, always oh, inquisitive, yeah. ready to explore a new home. It's like uh, kind of uh, medium short hair, white on the chest and legs, and uh, gray with the darker tabby-style markings. Beautiful cat. So we've got um, the website open, just like you can do this. It's capitalhumanesociety.org. And click on uh, Cats and Kittens for Adoption off the uh, header. And uh, we're looking at Izzy. You can click on Izzy's picture. There's Izzy a thumbnail, a cat. thumbnail description that pops open so you can read all about Izzy. And uh, so this is a lot of fun. Capitalhumanesociety.org. We're looking at Cats and Kittens for Adoption. Who follows Izzy? So we'll go, we'll do one from each page. So on page two of Cats is Sherry, and she's a bright-eyed kitty cat, six years old, front declawed, looking for a warm and wonderful indoor-only oh, yeah. home with lots of comfy places to snooze. Oh, she's a pretty kitty. Sherry. Yeah, look at that. She looks so soft. That fur just looks like you want to pet her. And look at those ears. The ears yep. with the face make a perfect triangle. <laughs> You're Almost, right. Uh, kind of an Abyssinian look there. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sherry's got that good look going on there. Okay, uh, Izzy, Sherry, and? And then on page three of Cats is Willow. And she's got a really cute picture going. She's very perky. Her ears are just kind of like, what? And she got long white whiskers. She's about a year old. Um, I guess we have it as a, it's a neutered male. Um, so he has very unique markings looking for a great new home. What is that in your hand? Does it taste uh -huh. good? Mm -hmm. Look at those whiskers. I am just about two seconds away from pouncing. <laughs> I am on full alert. Yeah, beautiful, yep. beautiful cat. Uh, Izzy, Sherry, and Willow. Here's Charlene with hours open today and tomorrow. Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. We are open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5.30. And asking the proverbial question, who let the dogs out? Um, we've got some dogs for adoption. We've got some really nice ones, starting with Luda, who is a one-year-old neutered male pit bull lab mix. Very intelligent, very active, looking for a family that is on the go because he always is interested in an adventure. So he is looking <laughs> for a family that will be as active as he wants to be. What, what rock and roll band had a song called Black Dog? Yeah, Led yeah. Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Okay. You're a Zeppelin fan. There you go. Yeah, a beautiful dog here, Luda. That's an interesting name too, Jim. It is. Yeah, I thought I thought Ludafisk, but that's... I'm, you know, I've never had any I've of never that, had that. And I don't no. know that I want to have any. I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've got Luda as our first dog up. Great looking dog. And any of these dogs will be fun to, to take for a walk. Um, who's up next after Luda? Cooper. A very handsome basset hound. Nine years <laughs> young and neutered male. 
she is very calm and gentle and will just sit next to you all day if you just keep petting him. So he's going to be a very loyal and loving companion. Look at this face on Cooper. He's got stripes. Look at that. Cooper. You're right. Man, you are like a, a Kiss rock star. Look at this. <laughs> what a cool-looking dog. Okay, take a look at, at, at Cooper's picture at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And don't you agree, folks, that, I mean, he could be like the Kiss mascot dog. <laughs> okay, who's next? Bruce. And I think Bruce's picture is really, really cute. Oh, he, yep. <laughs> He is a happy dog, about a year old, a boxer mix, really loves people, but doesn't care for other cats or dogs, so wants to be your one and only furry companion, uh, but he'll do a full body wiggle when he's happy, and we hope he finds a home where he's very happy all the time. Yeah, this would be a great dog for that permanent weight loss program, getting out twice a day and taking Bruce for a walk, and... Uh... He's ready, willing, and able to go for a walk probably about right now. Boy, look at that expression there. So we've got three great dogs and others as well, Luda, Cooper, and Bruce. Read all about them at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Better yet, go out and see them today and tomorrow. And here's Charlene with Hours Open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. Okay, um, we've got Halloween coming up next Thursday. Uh, are there any uh, precautions we need to be aware of for Halloween pets and kids with costumes on? Right. Yeah. So you definitely want to take precautions and prevent accidents and incidents. So make sure that you're keeping that chocolate and candy away from the animals, even up on the counter. You know, there are counter surfers. So you want to make sure it's away so they don't get into that and get sick. Um, we also, if you're going to be opening your door a lot for trick-or-treaters, they might escape. So it's a good idea maybe to set up a nice safe room for them with their bed so they can't run out and get loose. Um, and if you're going to put a costume on your animal, be sure that they can see and hear and walk. If they look miserable, they probably are. <laughs> so make sure that it's a costume that fits and, and doesn't make them uncomfortable. Okay. All the best, Shirlene, from us to you. Thanks for being out there. Thank you. You have a great day. Shirlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place that you go when you want to adopt a dog or cat. I'm Scott Colborn. I've got some Jack Reacher coffee in my cup. What are, what are you guys and gals enjoying this morning? Are you coffee or tea drinkers? Um, some younger folks may even be having their first uh, soda of the day, but uh, I'm definitely a black coffee strong guy, so... This is our special Ghost Stories in the Morning, and it's our annual Halloween show. First up is our good friend Brent Rains from Tennessee. Hey, Brent, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. How's everybody doing there? We are doing fantastic, and we are ready for Ghost Stories. What do you, what do you have oh, for well, us? What do you want to jump in with? Well, I tell you what. I've got, I've got a, a good one. Um, you know, just... Just a few days ago, uh, my wife and I were out at a local restaurant, and uh, this uh, mother and daughter had uh, invited us to sit there. And I knew the, the mother from, from uh, years ago. She's a, a retired nurse now, but she, she worked at the, the state prison where I work. 
And uh, anyway, uh, until a couple of years ago, I had no idea that uh, the family had had all these experiences. And, uh, you know, both are known, you know, in the community as responsible, respected, level-headed, long-time Waynesboro area residents, which is where I live, Waynesboro, Tennessee. And uh, they shared with us some really, truly hair-raising stories. Uh, they, you know, live in a little, it happened to them at their country home uh, up by a place called Natural Bridge. Though I've long been intrigued with unexplained accounts, uh, headless spectre stories, you know, it reminds one of Washington Irving's headless horseman in the legend of Sleepy Hollow. They seem relatively rare, but nonetheless, this mother, uh, nurse, matter, matter of factly, uh, shared with every appearance of sincerity. Um, and she's always struck me and my wife as, uh, she's known her longer, my wife has, uh, as, as someone who was just, you know, absolutely sincere, very religious Christian lady. And anyway, she said that one afternoon she was on the phone in her home when a uh, a gray, smoke-colored figure who just happened to be headless, no sign of the head on his body, uh, came within a mere foot of her while she was on the telephone. That must have been one, one wild conversation. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah. she, she said that soon afterwards this, this form, this figure, uh, moved away and disappeared into a nearby wall. And uh, they've lived there at this house for, uh, they had it built back around 1962. And there's always been periodic uh, appearances or manifestations, footsteps, and sometimes even wilder things. Um, now, the, the daughter had uh, herself claimed a number of startling encounters. And uh, one evening back uh, during her high school days, as she was watching television at the time, the power went out, which I don't think was related to the paranormal things. But anyway, she quickly located a flashlight. And uh, she said, and I quote, something told me to shine my light down the hallway. When I did, I saw a shadow of a tall man walking down the hallway toward me. There was no face. I knew that there was no light behind me to cast my shadow, and there was nothing in front of the flashlight to cast a shadow. So then at that point, uh, she was pretty pretty scared. She ran outside where her father and brother had been working on something, and, and that was that was the end of that particular story there. Um, but uh, during the time uh, she was in college, there was a, a friend who came to spend the night. This friend spent the night in her bedroom while she slept on the couch in the TV room. And... Uh, she said that her friend was uh, sitting up in bed, he said at the time, reading. And uh, she said he heard something like a wagon and team of horses crashing into the wall where his head was. Then he heard it at the other wall. He came and woke, woke me up, asking if I had heard the noises. Mom woke up to find out what was going on. And so, anyways, he, uh, the mom and, and, and this uh, young man uh, went into the kitchen, sat at the table, and were discussing what had happened. And uh, the daughter returned to the TV room, laid down, at which point she noticed that the family Doberman was acting odd. And it uh, seemed to be it was raising one paw in the air as though there was something in front of it, and it was sort of striking out at it and making kind of a yawning or growling type of sound. So she got up and approached the doorway. She said it was located between the dining room and the TV room to investigate. And then something quite unusual happened at that point. 
He said, quote, the lamp was on the wall, came on without anyone touching it, and all the kitchen cabinet doors flew open all at the same time. And, uh, and then there was another time when she was uh, still in college, and she said, I was at home during the day by myself. I felt like something was following behind me from room to room. I went into the bathroom. I didn't have to turn any lights on because it was day daytime. I had been told to say, what in the name of Jesus Christ do you want if I ever felt an evil spirit? So I looked into the mirror and said that. As soon as I did, one of the bathroom light bulbs beside the mirror busted and was shattered into pieces. So um, now while this family had had a number of scary-type experiences in their home, like I've described, startling scary. Uh, a few other episodes have had a more positive type of vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the mother said one day she heard her deceased mother's voice call her name, and she felt a pleasant and comforting presence from that experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, the daughter said there was one time that I woke up to see my dad standing by my bedside after he died. Uh, he was standing there looking down at me crying. I got up and checked mom and my son to make sure they were all right. I also checked the house to make sure everything was okay and checked the doors to make sure they were locked. Uh, that next day, mom had a heart attack. You know, fortunately, she's doing well. Uh, she survived her cardiac event and continues to lead a, a productive retired life. Um, but uh, they all clearly remember these experiences because they made such a, a, a deep deep impression upon him and uh, never have been able to explain They tried to find out if there was um, anything like uh, perhaps someone in the area who might have long ago had an accident where they you know, were decapitated some way. Um, I'm trying to follow up on the story. The man is no longer alive, but he had uh, told the, the, uh, the mother, uh, he was a patient in the hospital where she was working and he told the story we found out where she lived, asked her if she knew about the headless man and claimed he had seen it when he was out uh, doing some logging in that area, and uh, it seemed to, like, float over the ground, and this this figure had no head. Wow. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, quite, a, quite a story. And we happened to know a couple of, you know, or so, of, well, at least two uh, uh, people who were this man's son that we can to find out more from if he if he ever shared the story if maybe they might have been witnesses because there was mm-hmm. someone who was uh, uh according to what she remembered he said there was someone there helping him at the time mm-hmm. maybe it was one of his boys so anyway do you own uh, a brent do you own a, a a ghost hunter uh tool that is referred to as uh either frank's box or a ghost box yeah i have a i have a ghost box yes um, it was uh, Radio Shad Digital AMFM, and uh, it's been modified where it goes on continuous scan. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've gotten some pretty uh, pretty compelling for me. Um, for about four years there, I was you know obsessed, <laughs> and I finally said I got to back off a little. I'm just you know going to drive myself crazy with this. But I mean, I got some uh, where I heard my own name. I heard John Keel a number mm-hmm. of times, and. Uh, these were intelligent, interactive responses, and, and, and I got some good Class A recordings. And 
some of them, uh, most of the time, you're just getting little snippets, but uh, sometimes uh, you get a whole sentence. Um, like one time I was trying to determine if uh, this presence, uh, we'd heard myself and some others doing this. Um, we didn't know if it was Enoch or Enoch, if it was an I or an O. And I, so one day I asked, and after several minutes, um, this voice finally came through very clearly and said, Enoch with an O, and I repeated it, and then I said a cuss word, so I, I left that part out, but <laughs> uh, it, uh, you know, I played it back, I made an audio file on it, uh, it's there, uh, it may not prove that much to anyone else, but I mean, for me, it was quite startling, because uh, I heard this in real time, I recorded mm -hmm. it, uh, it's there, it's undeniable, I mean, what's the chances of, uh, I know synchronicity can be pretty... Pretty wild sometimes, but uh, to get these kind of interactive responses, uh, you know. But uh, anyway, very cool. I've also got some. Okay, yeah, stay uh, right there. We're going to take the bottom of our break, and we'll be back in about a minute and a half. Brent, uh, you're our leadoff guest with Ghost Stories, our annual Halloween show, and it's great, Brent, to have you as part of the broadcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Brent Rains will be right back with more ghost stories after this. Ghost Stories in the Morning with Scott Colborn, Jim Shorty, and our special first guest, Brent Rains. And Brent is the editor and publisher of Alternate Perceptions Magazine. The website, very easy to find, the letters APmagazine.info. Brent, it's great to have you here. And what is in your cup this morning? Are you a coffee or tea drinker? Well, actually, um, or neither. I I drink Coke, <laughs> you know, uh, Coca Cola, yeah. Uh, and uh, right now, I'm drinking uh, city water <laughs> with little ice in it. Now, but, I've recently uh, been eating at a place that serves um, sweet tea, and that's you know considered uh, basically a staple, along with just regular water in the South. And so, um, I've become kind of a fan of sweet tea. Hmm. Oh well, uh, yeah. I'm I'm the only one in the family here that really hasn't been drinking sweet tea. Mm -hmm. uh, now my wife and everybody else here, my daughter, they're all sweet tea lovers. We we go out to a restaurant, it's sweet tea, except for me. When they come out to me, I have to I have to break the chain. Mm -hmm. But uh, well, do you have some more anyway. stories for us here? This is ghost stories oh, in the morning. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I got some I got some spooky ones here. Uh, I don't know if they're all ghosts. Uh, one may be a yeah. Kind of like an angel, one of the little people. So, um, now this this little in, you know this information I got to start with uh, came out of a uh, a a uh, booklet that was put out by the uh, Wayne County. I'm in Wayne County, Tennessee, the Wayne County Historical Society, a few years back, and uh, people were submitting stories uh, about family history, their family history, and one of them was quite interesting, and, and here's the way it goes. Um, it was reported that back in 1899 at the bottom of uh, what's called Smith Branch Hill, just off of uh, our local Highway 13, that a uh, which is north of where I am, that a young couple named uh, Fleite, uh, I, I, I don't know, I may be saying the name wrong, F-L-E-I-T, who had emigrated from Austria, had disappeared under very mysterious circumstances, along with uh, two of their young sons back in 1882. 
the mystery began when a neighbor, Thomas Lomax, uh, paid a visit to to the, the family uh, as Harold Leite, the husband, was to have slaughtered and dressed out um, a hog for him. However, finding that the front door of the home wide open, Mr. Lomax walked in and discovered the kitchen table was set with four plates. The food was still warm, but no one was in sight except for the youngest child, a one-year-old Martin Leite, who reportedly was sitting in his high chair, smiling and unharmed. So Lomax immediately searched the house as well as the outbuildings and the surrounding property. Uh, They had had there a uh, smokehouse and a blacksmith shop, but he found no one else there. In fact, in the days that followed, uh, they said the best trackers and finest uh, hunting dogs in the area were likewise unable to turn up any trace of the missing family. And uh, young Martin was eventually adopted by a family over in Giles County, which is about 50 miles to the the east of here. Um, So locals came to regard this residence uh, as haunted, and reportedly many uh, people along that stretch of Beach Creek avoided going near it. Uh, Then in April 1936, there was a, a tornado that struck the area, killing several people, and totally obliterated any traces of the former Leite home. Now, this is where the next aspect of this comes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, I, you know, because we know that sometimes uh, the little people, the denizens of the underworld, are associated with sometimes misfortunes, human disappearances, um, you know, we have stories from the Irish and others of the, you know, the British Isles to American Indians to the natives of Hawaii and countless other cultures around the world. Tales again and again of these little people, the, the wee folk of traditional fairy lore. And they used to, people used to take very seriously in some places they, they could still do. And responsible uh, like a modern abducting grave for human abductions. And uh, while I certainly can't prove their was a literal connection here. Uh, a few years ago, I was told a story of little men encountered at uh, Smith Branch Hill, which is right, right where this, uh, these people lived, uh, that back around the mid-1930s, this happened. The witness, since he's since deceased, uh, but was described to me by four different people who had known him to be an honest Christian man. Now, one of them was his brother that I talked with. And the story was that he was returning home on foot after visiting his girlfriend. Uh, he was at the top of Smith Branch Hill, right off of 13, when a bright white light startled him. Just off the road, he saw a group of dwarfish men, perhaps eight or ten, with faces of reddish complexion, wrinkled skin, long noses, and some had beards. And so, understandably, frightened by this apparitional appearance here, he uh, began running away. And uh, apparently, they say, passed out as he next found himself picking up himself up off the ground at the bottom of the hill. But, you know, uh, modern ufologists might say, ha-ha, missing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, for years afterwards, it said that he suffered nightmares uh, about the encounter, and he wondered if he'd had some sort of omen. And uh, they say he died wondering about what what exactly it all meant. 
And a few years ago, there was a uh, a murder of a young girl in that same area too. So the the area has missing people, a murder, and you know deaths in the area, the tornado, and, mm-hmm. and little people. We had um, uh, years ago a, a friend of mine that uh, was a teacher up at Macy, Nebraska, on a reservation, and she lived in a group of uh, buildings that were called teacher housing. There was an older farmhouse that was torn down to make way for the building of this complex teacher housing. And Joan said that um, after she was there for a while, she began hearing uh, what sounded like the shop teacher next door in his small basement now, he was doing some project because she would hear hammering and sawing. And, you know, this went on for quite a while. And one day she happened to see him outside, I believe, at the mailbox area. And so just said that, you know, she was curious about what he was building because she'd been hearing for some time the sawing and hammering. And, and he was incredulous. He said, I thought you were building something. I'm not doing anything. I, I thought the sound was coming from your side of the wall, from your basement. And so apparently they talked to a, uh, an older Indian who said that it was probably the little people who were trying to rebuild that house that was torn down. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. There's, there's stories like this uh, from all over the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, because uh, all I can say is, I mean, that uh, science knows much, but there are some areas that it has yet to fully and satisfactorily understand or address, you know? Yes, I think, I think being able to say what if or uh, having an open mind and being curious, I think that's a great way to look at life. And I, I think that you learn a lot more and live a far richer life than if you say it can't be and go about your business that way with a certain smugness that underlies that, that self-imposed authority. You and I, of course, are the, the seekers. And, and do you have another story for us, Brent, on this Ghost Stories morning? Yeah, this one is an angel. You know, a few years back, uh, I met a woman over in Savannah, which is about, you know, 30 miles uh, west of my location here off of Highway 64. And uh, I'd gone over to interview her about a UFO sighting she had. Mm-hmm. And I found out there have been a number of stories in the family, uh, UFOs, and also one of an angel. Um, well, that's, you know, what we're calling it because we really don't know for sure. But sure. anyway, here's the story. She wrote it. Uh, I asked her to describe it out in a letter for me. Uh, the location was... Uh, just outside of my county, overlapping into Hardin County. Um, And she wrote, I am guessing that the year was in the mid to late 20s because my grandmother was born in 1917. It was in the Mount View area, which was known, I believe, uh, as the Brooks Bottom. My great-grandmother and her children were down past the house at the barn working in the garden. She turned back to see what the kids were making over and saw it. It was an angel. It looked like a human. It was full-size, dressed in a flooring-type garment. It had wings and long golden tresses that were curly 
and very shiny. It was beautiful and bright. The angel was fluttering in the air about head high. She said that it came so close to them that they could see the fingernails and toenails. It had no shoes on. My grandfather, my great-grandfather, turned and ran towards the house to get the gun. And my great-grandmother said, Stop, you can't shoot it because it is a heavenly being. Uh, she said they went on about their business and left it alone. They were not afraid of it. I do not know if it flew away or disappeared or exactly how it ended or if it was ever seen again. Interesting. That was quite, a, quite interesting. And it's not too far from a little unincorporated area there along the Tennessee River called Point Pleasant. <laughs> I'll be darned. Yeah, wow, yeah, a, what a coincidence. Yeah, and, you know, that may be all it is, but still it's kind of, kind of, kind of cool. <laughs> um, but uh, Have you ever you seen know, a, a ghost or an apparition, Brent? Um, well, I, I had an experience one time that seemed real, but I, you know, I, it may have been an out-of-body experience, but I saw something then. Uh, but actually to... You see a ghost? Mm, I I thought maybe once I might have seen somebody that just seemed to not be there later. My wife and I both, but we're not sure if that was really a ghost or just someone stepped in a car and you know when we didn't see it took mm-hmm. off. So. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a time back in uh, uh, the fall of 1975. I think I might have told this to you once before, but anyway, I'll give you the abbreviated version. Um, I was going through a kind of a religious crisis at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had accepted Christ in May of 75, and, and that summer I did a lot of traveling from, from Maine to Florida, interviewing witnesses and researchers and gathering material. But I had a lot of Christian brethren who felt that it was a lot of these things were demonic. So I, when I you know, got back, I was telling them what I had found, and, uh, and they were questioning whether, you know, well, you could have been, you know, you may not, you may be misreading this, you know, how could this be? And I still, you know, I said, well, they were, they were very nice people, and they were, like me, asking questions. I didn't really see anything sinister or evil. So anyway, um, I was getting all kinds of feedback. You know, I felt back in May of 75 that, you know, accepting Christ was where I was at. I was, you know, felt good about it, and then then people would tell me, well, have you been baptized in the Spirit, or have you been baptized in water? Well, maybe maybe you better do that just to make sure you're really saved, you know? And I thought, well, what kind of, you know, uh, how many steps, or how many hoops you got to jump through here? So uh, I decided, well, I'm just going to leave this in God's hand, uh, Creator, uh, see what, you know, I don't have clue one here, so, uh, you know, maybe show me something that will reveal some greater truth to help me understand these things. Um, and uh, so, but I, I, I said at the same time, I don't want, uh, you know, God, I don't want to have an experience that scares the daylights out of me because I've heard of, you know, some really revelations or visions or whatever that, that were just too overpowering for some people. So anyway, about two nights later, it was two nights later, it was a little after 11 o'clock and I'm crawling in bed and, all this is the furthest thing from my mind at the time. And I, I think sometimes that's when all this happens. Um, and the next thing I know, it's like I'm back on my feet, 
walking toward the bedroom door. My light's out in the bedroom, but the hallway light is still on. And, uh, and I go about halfway across this bedroom floor, and suddenly I stop. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm saying, oh, okay. And I, I have this knowing that someone behind me has stopped me at this point. But instead of turning around, I'm still looking at the door. For some reason, I, I just know I'm supposed to look at the door. And as I do, and again, there's absolutely no fear in the experience. It's all observational. I see uh, it looks like hundreds of tiny little marble-sized, translucent, white, glowing, pulsating balls of light just swirling around. And they seem to go from the top of the ceiling area in the hallway down to the floor, sort of the lower right corner of the, the floor there, you know, in the doorway. Mm-hmm. And they amass into a, an, uh, a mass of white light that uh, seems to take the seems to be taking the shape of a small four-legged animal. And then, bingo, I'm laying in my bed, facing up at the ceiling on my back, and usually when I get in bed, I'm laying on my stomach or on my side, so that was a little unusual. But uh, I'm thinking, wow, you know, and uh, my dad had been in the bathroom. He came out, so I knew this wasn't, you know, there was no missing time or anything, just a few seconds. But this all transpired, and he went downstairs for something, and I followed him, and I told him what I had just seen. And I'd never had an experience like that, and nothing really quite like it since. And uh, he said, oh, you know, he just had a really vivid dream, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, uh, you know, it's caused me, ever since 1975, I've reflected on that quite a bit. I even told John Key on a phone conversation about it one mm-hmm. time. <laughs> Uh, so I, I don't know. It uh, was it a spiritual manifestation? Uh, I, I certainly have uh, you know reflected on the idea that they were all these uh, intelligent type little lights that seem to mm-hmm. be animated by their own individual intelligences, and yet they came together to work together in this uh, form of an animal, taking mm-hmm. the shape of it. Was it? Uh, uh, I would I would guess that it's probably that that um, sense that it's important and that you've reflected on it for some time. That's part of the significance for you in this matter, Brent. We're out of time, so I want to thank you so much for being with us as our first guest on Ghost Stories in the Morning, our annual Halloween show. And uh, well, what do you have planned for the rest of the weekend? Well, I've got. Uh, I'm going to be on coast to coast tonight. Uh, um, of course, our central time it'll be from midnight to two o'clock uh, with Richard Surratt. and of course I'll be promoting uh, the John Keel book. Oh boy, that'll be fun. Okay, Brett. I will. All the all the best, and people can listen to you tonight on coast to coast. Then. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thank you, Brent. We'll see you later. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Brent Rains, our first guest, our leadoff guest on Ghost Stories in the Morning. Next up, uh, as soon as we can make that phone connection, is Dale Kazmarek. And uh, Dale is the founder of the Ghost Research Society. I had the good pleasure back in the 1980s 
We did uh, uh, several conferences in Lincoln, and uh, Dale was a speaker uh, that came to Lincoln and presented information. He's one of the uh, authorities in the subject of ghosts and apparitions, and uh, his website is ghostresearch.org. Uh, if you go there, of particular note, and the, the website is massive, but if you go there, um, you're going to have the margin on the left. You want to look for ghost photographs, and he's got um, both the hoaxed photographs that have been proven to be hoaxes as well as uh, photographs that still show something very interesting that are deemed to be authentic or real. And those those are simply amazing. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Dale Kazmarek to the program. Dale, how are you? Fine. How you been? I've been great, Dale. And uh, I don't know, Jim, if you uh, follow Dale on Facebook, but this is a guy that he has Mr. or Mrs. Luck riding around on his shoulders. He, I don't, uh, uh, sometimes. He goes, he goes to a casino, and uh, wow. then I see a posting saying, okay, uh, I sat down at the uh, uh, slot machine, and I just won. What was your last payout, uh, Dale? Wow. Well, I, I sat down, and uh, I, I, the first time I, I spun the, 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 the slot, I won uh, $300 wow. for the very first time. <laughs> Well, that's that's great. I don't follow Dale on Facebook, but I am a huge fan of your your photo debunking page, at, at Dale. That's that's one of my favorite topics. Mm-hmm. And Dale, what what got you interested in founding the Ghost Research Society? Was it a personal experience? Basically, the Ghost Research Society was founded by a number of like-minded people back in nineteen. 19- uh, 77. Wow. That was myself and a, and a gentleman called Martin V. Ricardo. Uh, we were just uh, a bunch of like-minded individuals that had an interest in the paranormal. Uh, I had been a, a, long, a lifelong interest in the paranormal since I was a child. Uh, my parents and grandparents telling me ghost stories when I was a youngster. So as I got older, I wanted to find out if some of these stories I had heard, especially some very famous stories in the Chicagoland area, um, like Resurrection Mary and others, were actually true, or if they were simply just folk tales or urban legends. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me involved, kind of chasing down some of these stories to determine uh, the, the validity of these stories. And since that time, uh, it just kind of ballooned from that point forward. Uh, in 1982, I took over the group and uh, named it the Ghost Research Society. Prior to that, it was called the Ghost Trackers Club. And... Uh, We've been traveling all across the country doing investigations, and uh, I'm going to be starting my 45th year uh, next year in 2020. Uh, what is your working definition of a ghost? My definition of a ghost is a disembodied spirit that hasn't quite made the transition from this world to the other side, uh, usually due to untimely death. Murder, suicide, car crash, plane crash, train wreck. Uh, Something that was unexpected, perhaps sudden, uh, sometimes violent, uh, maybe some trauma involved. And the spirit that is there and is being seen or perceived by people very often does not realize that he or she has died. So people 
see this sometime a replay, if you will, of their last moments on Earth. It could be a residual. It could be an intelligent haunt. That there are a difference. Intelligent haunt would be some sort of communication interaction between the living and the dead. Where a residual is more like a tape loop, just kind of like seeing something out of the past that's being replayed over and over again, very often very vividly to the point where people have actually called the police to report crime scenes mm-hmm. that have replayed in certain areas around the Chicagoland area. So uh, you have the intelligent haunt, you have the, uh, the uh, residual haunt, and then we also investigate poltergeist phenomena too, which we don't come across that often, unfortunately. Now, if anybody that's in the listing audience live or the archived show that will be posted in about a week, if you're ever in the Chicago area, be aware that Dale does haunted ghost tours. Dale? Yes. Yeah, tell yes, us I about do. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, just yeah, my tours, excuse me, are called Excursions into the Unknown. They're ghost tours that I started back in 1982. Uh, they are the longest-running ghost tours in the Chicagoland area. Uh, we have tours uh, pretty much all all year round, Friday, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday throughout the year, weather permitting, because uh, you know Chicago has some pretty crazy weather, especially in the winter time. We can get a lot of snow, a lot of cold, but uh, we try to run these pretty much year round. They're four-hour bus trips of haunted locations that people can. Uh, find on my website, and you can book directly online. We have discounts available for a variety of uh, um, things like, uh, for instance, seniors, AAA members, uh, and all different types of uh, discounts for children and so forth. So it is a great opportunity to actually see up close places in the Chicagoland area that are haunted and perhaps have an experience yourself. Mm-hmm. What fun. Wow. I bet I bet this month you have been just busy as all get out. Yeah, I've been busy ever since uh, the middle of February. Every <laughs> every weekend, I've been doing something. Uh, we went to the Sally House in Atkinson, Kansas, uh, to investigate. We went to see McIntyre Villa out there. I went out to to Indiana. I mean, we have just been literally circling the entire United States this year, uh, probably close to 20 different uh, public investigations, uh, actually a lot more than that, because in some cases when we uh, would uh, have a friend downstate in Robinson, Illinois, uh, Jason Snyder with his group, and uh, every year I go down there, spend like three days down there, and we're all usually investigating about a dozen locations or more in those three days alone. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of um, uh, research, investigations, and trying to gather all the data. But eventually you have to sit down and uh, go through all that data and uh, write the report and put it up on the Internet and the website so people can actually uh, uh, share uh, and uh, kind of see what we have picked up as far as audio, visual stuff, uh, and pictures. Mm -hmm. This is Dale Kazmarek, and uh, he's the co-founder of the Ghost Research Society. He's in the Chicagoland area, uh, ghostresearch.org. And uh, when we come back from the top hour break, let's have a ghost story from Mr. Dale Kazmarek. Stay tuned for more, our special ghost stories in the morning show, Happy Halloween. We'll be right back. 
Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, Jim Shorney, and our special second guest. This is Dale Kazmarek from the Chicago area. Ghostresearch.org is his website. And uh, tell us a ghost story, Dale. Well, uh, one of my favorites in Chicago is uh, the very first ghost story I was told as a youngster, which was Resurrection Mary. Uh, Resurrection Mary, uh, and associate, so often associated with Resurrection Cemetery, a rather large uh, Polish Catholic cemetery consecrated back in about 1894 in Chicago. The story starts way back around 1933 of a beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed Polish-American girl named Mary who had went to a dance at what was then called the O'Henry Ballroom in uh, in, in uh the suburbs of Chicago, a name for the O'Henry Candy Bar. She got into an argument with her boyfriend, began to hitchhike back home, and somewhere along the route between the ballroom and the main gates of Resurrection, she was struck and killed by a hit-and-run car. Soon after this, people began to see an image of a girl in a long white dress, long blonde hair, hitchhiking along the side of the road, dressed as she was back in the uh, 1930s, uh, a, a dance gown, dancing shoes, a small sequin cocktail purse, and a shawl draped over her shoulders. She has literally mm. been seen by thousands of people since the latter 1930s. In fact, my mom and dad, when they were dating, and this gets back to the idea of my parents and grandparents telling me ghost stories, my mm-hmm. mom would often tell me this story about when my mom and dad were dating, in late 1930s, early 1940s, just before World War uh, II, my dad was in the Merchant Marines, which I'm very proud of. And uh, my dad would take my mom out to a dinner, a movie, or a show. And, of course, she always knew what was in store later on. He would be riding around the cemetery in the middle of the night, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, a uh, very dark, lonely road at that point, trying to look for the ghost. So I guess the idea of... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, my instincts of in looking for ghosts come from my father's side and not so much from my mother, because my mother was absolutely terrified, uh, screaming and saying, take me home. I don't want to see the ghost if it's out there. They never saw that, but those are the types of stories I kind of grew up with, which kind of got me involved. But so many people, uh, there are so many encounters. There's a, uh, a very interesting encounter of the, the bars being bent of Resurrection Cemetery back in August the 10th of 1976, when a man just traveling past saw what appeared to be a girl locked in the cemetery after hours. He reported that to the police. The police tried to find this girl, uh, who they thought was simply somebody who had been locked in. <clears throat> they couldn't find anybody, but they found that <clears throat> several of the bars had been pulled apart and bent impressed in the metal what appeared to be scorch marks and within the scorch mark what appeared to be fingerprints and skin texture so as though mm. somebody had seared their handprints into the bars there are a number of photographs that people can actually see on my website including a super eight motion picture clip that somebody shot no sound full color in 1976 that shows these bars it may be the only video or, or you know, a motion picture uh, clip in existence that I've come across so far to show what these bars looked like. Um, there have been many attempts put by the cemetery to straighten these bars, uh, paint them different colors, uh, hacksaw them out, uh, obliterate the marks off the bars, but people still come and see those 
those uh, marks on the cemetery. Even to this day, they can tell which bars are uh, the so-called uh, suspect bars. If you come out of the cemetery, you simply look to your right, and you'll see two bars that are not original to the gates. Mm-hmm. But there have been other reports of, of uh, uh, you know, a cab driver that picked her up in uh, uh, January 1979. He was coming back from the uh, south side of dropping off a fare, was lost, trying to get some directions back, and picked up this girl. Uh, he thought he'd give her a free lift. As they headed down towards uh, Resurrection, she was no help with directions at all, didn't say much, and, until they got close to the cemetery when she kind of blurted out, almost screamed, stop, this is the place. When he turned around to see what she had meant, there was no longer a girl in the cab. Uh, the cab door had not been opened. The cab was still slowing down. Uh, the girl was gone. Of course, the cab driver uh, spun around, thinking that she might have fell out of the cab. Yeah. Nobody... T- seen anywhere. He went to a nearby tavern, had a, a several stiff drinks to kind of quiet his nerves down. And that article can actually be seen on my website. It was kind of interesting. The man who interviewed him from the suburban trib, who interviewed this cab driver, the reporter's name was Bill Geist. And everybody knows that Geist is the German word for ghost. So a man who saw a ghost was interviewed by a man whose name is Ghost. I always thought that was kind of a humorous no, that is funny. This is Dale Kazmarek. Uh, he's the co-founder of the Ghost Research Society. And their website uh, is an amazing website, ghostresearch.org. Ghost stories in the morning here. Happy Halloween, folks. Dale, do you have another story for us? Oh, absolutely. I, I have quite a few. I mean, uh, one of my uh, most recent things that kind of was interesting that I had an interaction, I believe, with a ghost is we were at a place called uh, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in western West Virginia. We were investigating an area that had some uh, isolation cells. There was a report of a, uh, a former inmate called Ruth who used to throw things, uh, her food and TV trays and everything at anybody with the opposite sex. So she didn't like males at all. We were in an area not too far from where Ruth had been staying in these isolation cells for unruly patients. And I was there with three female uh, investigators, which is kind of important. Uh, I was the only male investigator. Suddenly my whole arm uh, started like it was on, uh, had put my arm into a freezer pretty much. It was all goose bumpy. Uh, The hair stood up. Uh, No females with me felt any breeze, any cold, because I was the only male person. About that time, uh, something, almost kind of humorous, something grabbed my buttocks, my left butt cheek, pretty much. You can actually see that video online. Uh You'll actually see me kind of grab that area because it's ice cold, like something just grabbed me. And um, they're all looking around, and they got meters, and they're not feeling anything. They're not feeling a draft. So we continue with the EVP session. We have a device that spits out words when we, when we ask questions. And I asked a simple question, do you want us to leave or do you want me to leave? One word came out, you. So we left, not because we were scared, but we thought that we might have been crowding her space. Uh, it was a very unique uh, experience, the kind of experiences I live for. Uh, other people might be running out the door after something like that, but uh, I like uh, having interactions and experiences with, with ghosts. 
I've had my share. I've been poked in the back in the in the past. I've had my hair played with. I've had my face touched, but uh, not a lot of interaction like that. It's not like um, it happens every time we go out. It's it's a rarity to have mm-hmm. that kind of an interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Dale Kazmarek, the founder of the Ghost Research Society. Dale, I've got a quick story for you. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the vanishing man from Highway 77. And uh, I learned about this, uh, what I first thought was a legend or tale, uh, a few years ago, about people driving south of Lincoln, Nebraska, on Highway 77, either leaving the city or approaching the city as they got close to the Sotillo Road intersection, they would report seeing a man standing in front of them right in the middle of Highway 77. And uh, they would lock their brakes up, swerve, do their best to try to avoid him. Uh, God forbid anybody hitting this guy. They would come to a stop, a car askew on the road, and look back, and there's nobody there. So it got a little bit deeper uh, when about... Ten days ago, I met a woman who said, that happened to me. And she gave me the details. I then called the Lancaster County Sheriff's Department and talked with a deputy sheriff. They recorded an incident on September 22nd at 8.30 p.m. where they'd responded to the call. So here's what happened. She was uh, dropped her daughter off at a a rural area called the Roca Scary Farm. It's sort of a Halloween makeover thing that, that kids and families have a lot of fun with. And she was driving back into Lincoln when her daughter called and said, Mom, can you come back and drop something off? So she was executing a U-turn at that intersection of Highway 77 and Sotillo. She drove by a car parked off the shoulder and a man standing there. So the good Samaritan she was, she pulled up and she rolled her window down and she said, uh, are you okay? And in very broken, almost incoherent English, he rushed up and literally threw his cell phone into her car. She picked it up and he had called 911. They were on the other end of the call. So with his broken English and his highly agitated state, she was able to deduce and pass along that He'd been driving down Highway 77. A man had appeared right in front of him. He did his best, but he thought that he actually hit the man. And so they dispatched Lancaster County Sheriff's deputies. They were out there within minutes. They interviewed the man. They surveyed the front of his car. They searched an adjoining field, and their report ended with UTL, unable to locate. In other words, he didn't really strike somebody. He thought he did. What do you think about that, my friend? Well, it's very similar to uh, some of the Resurrection Mary stories that are out here in uh, Justice, Illinois. Uh, There have been um, several reports of... uh, you know, somebody running across the road, you know, running towards the cemetery, running uh, out of the cemetery, walking along the side of the road, or even in some cases just trying to cross the road. People will actually see a woman in the middle of the road getting ready to cross from left to right. 
I, I, I talked to a good friend of mine who had an encounter uh, back in September of uh, 1978, and he was coming. The woman was getting ready to cross the road. He kind of swerved to miss her. He said he was too late. He was going to strike the girl with the right, fender, right front fender of the car. They braced for a possible uh, impact, but then he saw the car cut right through the image of the girl. The image just kind of turned into a soft blur on the side of the road and was gone. So these reports of you know these uh, phantom hitchhikers or phantom people along the road, um, you know, there's dozens here in the Chicagoland area mm-hmm. which are very similar, and that sounds very uh, a very similar story you just told me there as well. This is Dale Kaczmarek, the founder of the Ghost Research Society out of the Chicago area. And again, I recommend that if you're in the Chicago area, check out Dale's website, ghostresearch.org, because he gives um, haunted ghost tours called Excursions into the Unknown. And uh, I've uh, been a fan of your work, Dale, for so many years. How about, uh, before we end the segment, how about another ghost story? Sure. Um, one of my other favorite ghost stories here in Chicago is Bachelors Grove Cemetery, a small German cemetery uh, started way back in the uh, 1830s. There have been so many reports. In fact, this was one of the very first places I ever investigated back in the, uh, uh, the mid-1970s as I was exploring the area. There have been reports of a phantom house that people see along the side of the road as they walk toward it. It just is not there anymore. It just shrinks into the woods. Other people have seen phantom dogs, blue ghost lights that seem to appear and disappear. You reach out to touch them, they disappear. Some people claim to have put their hand through their light, uh, these lights, and felt no heat, no cold, no sensation at all, like putting their hand through nothing. Others have actually seen, including two Cook County forest rangers, what appears to be a farmer and his horse dragging a plow emerge from the lagoon that, uh, that is near the cemetery, and went directly across in front of them on the middle of the turnpike. They actually saw this horse, farmer, and a plow. Wow. Of course, they never officially reported that, probably fear of being laughed at or ridiculed. Uh, there have been disappearing cars and pickup trucks on the, the turnpike right next to the cemetery where you drive past. You'll see a silhouette of a car. You may actually illuminate the car. You look in the rearview mirror a second when you pass it, there's no longer a car there. Others will see what looks like car headlights or taillights backing into a forest preserve entrance. You get there a few seconds later, the chain's still up over the gate. That car, that pickup truck, is gone. It's nowhere for that pickup truck to disappear to. So many people have had encounters. I took a very famous photograph that was all over the Internet back in 1991 with my group. Some woman had some infrared film in our camera, Jude Huff took a picture of that tombstone, which was nothing there. We see a semi-transparent figure of a woman sitting on that tombstone. Uh, So lots of strange images, lots of strange recordings that have been recorded throughout the years. It's one of the most haunted locations I've ever investigated. Has any of this activity uh, ever come home with you? Uh, Well, yes. Uh, My wife, actually, uh, we were investigating a cemetery in Campsville, Illinois, uh, along the Mississippi River, uh, almost uh, almost near the Missouri border. It was a small little cemetery out there uh, where a little girl had been seen and encountered throughout the years. Now, we went out there, did our investigation. Nothing happened. But uh, uh, about that time, I was having a real problem with sleep apnea and snoring. So my wife 
I said, sometimes she'd sleep in another room to get some rest. And she was upstairs. She woke up and she saw in the mirror uh, in another room just the face of a little girl looking at her. So she thought it was in the other room. But then when she realized, oh, wait, it's a reflection. It's in the room with me looking down at me. She jumped up, flicked on the lights, and it was gone just that quickly. Uh, when I got up, she said, where were you last night? Where were you? What were you doing? And I said, we were in the cemetery investigating report of a little girl. She goes, I just saw that little girl upstairs. Now, I wish it would have been me. My wife didn't appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, she, she's kind of into the subject a little bit. She used to travel with me. But uh, she would rather not see something like that. Uh, you know, I would love to have seen something like that, actually a, uh, even a partial face of a little girl. And it, and it was only there for that one, one evening, one, one morning. Mm-hmm. I, we'd have no f- further problems since that time. I mean, occasionally we hear noises upstairs, which we really can't determine what's causing it. Uh, we don't have any you know, you know, rodents up there in our attic or anything like that. So you know, maybe there is still something up there. My granddaughters, when they stay over, they sometimes think that they see something in the closet. Of course, you know, one's, one's 14, so I mean, it's not like a young granddaughter anymore, and the other one's almost nine. So uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe there is something up there, but uh, sometimes occasionally I, I feel that may have brought something home. But we're, we try to be very careful and just tell the spirits that they're not welcome to come home with us. They're, they have to stay uh, where we're investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, and folks can also go to your website, ghostresearch.org, and check out the books that you've written. Uh, what's your what's your total number now of books? I've written six books on the subject, uh, two on uh, Chicago Ghosts, When You See the Ghosts 1 and 2, uh, Field Guide to Spirit Photography, Field Guide to Ghost Hunting Techniques, uh, one on spook lights called Illuminating the Dark, Just a Mystery of Spook Lights. And my latest book was the uh, Field Guide to Haunted Highways and Bridges, kind of our haunted infrastructure across the country. Excellent. Dale, I've been, as I say, a fan of your work for so many years, and uh, I was pleased to have met you personally back in the 1980s at a conference in Lincoln. So thank you very much for being uh, on our special show today, and I wish you very, very well, nothing but the best. Yeah, one day i got to get out to your neck of the woods and take one of your ghost tours out there in Lincoln. Okay, it's a deal, my friend. I might, I Thank might, you for having me. I might make it. you do Have most of the Halloween. talking that night. Okay? I, w- I want to be on that tour. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Okay, Dale. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dale Kazmarek, uh, the founder of the Ghost Research Society. Uh, Dale's at ghostresearch.org. And as Jim alluded to earlier, uh, the website is massive, but be sure and take a look this weekend at the special page of Ghost Photographs. And there's some amazing stuff up there, underlying amazing stuff. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And uh, we're having a great time here. So I think we're going to take our break early, then we'll come back with Lloyd Arbach. Stay tuned for more on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, and it's great to have you with us. And now let's say good morning to Lloyd Arbach from the West Coast. Lloyd, how are you? Doing fine, Scott. How are you? Lloyd, uh, we've heard so much about those blackouts out there. How are you doing? Well, I just happen to be um, where our house is situated. We're lucky uh, even the blackouts are going to start this afternoon. 
looks like we're not going to be hit by it, but a half a mile away, they will be. So we're just in a little, um, just an area that for some reason isn't going to be affected by them. Mm-hmm. Well, God bless to all the folks out there, and I hope they can get these fires stopped here. Um, Lloyd, it's always great to talk with you. Um, as our last guest, Dale Kazmarek, you're one of those guys that I've been a fan of your work for forever. And uh, so this is our ghost story show. Do you have a ghost story for us? Well, I have a couple um, that I could talk about. And uh, I'll, I'll mention one right off the bat that's going to be on a Travel Channel show this Tuesday night. Oh, cool. um, which is, the show's called... Oddly enough, the show's called Most Terrifying Places on Earth, but the place that, that I'm about to talk about is not terrifying at all. The show producers told me they got kind of got stuck with the title. <laughs> and uh, I, I but think it's I'm... one of my favorite cases, and I've talked about it before, but since it's coming up on the show, I thought I'd, I'd mention it again. And it's a, a restaurant called the Moss Beach Distillery, which is south of San Francisco, right on the coast. And the story is that a woman who was... <laughs> Running from her husband since he was kind of a brutalizer, ended up in the Bay Area back in the late 1920s. And around 1930, she was working in a hotel that was right next to the restaurant. The hotel doesn't exist anymore. Uh, just a small hotel, also owned by the restaurant owner, Frank Torres. And uh, the restaurant itself was known as Frank's Place or the Marine View bar and grill at that time, uh, kind of alternately. And it had been built as a residence in 1926, and it was taken over by Frank Torres as a restaurant and bar in 1927. So she would come frequent the bar uh, and restaurant after she would sell with her shift in the registration at the hotel and eventually started having a... Uh, everybody knew she had an affair with the, the piano player. They knew she had been married piano player was a little bit younger than her, but they were still hanging out together. Until one night when her husband showed up, having tracked her down, and the guy was promptly ejected from the, the place. <clears throat> it wasn't like the place wasn't protected. Uh, this was during Prohibition, and they were serving illegal alcohol. So there were plenty of people who were a little rougher, rough around the edges to toss the guy out. Uh, the place also had been frequented at the time by the mayors of the various cities around the area, including San Francisco and San Jose, and the police chiefs would go there because a lot of people didn't agree with prohibition. Later that night, for some reason, this is the part that I just don't quite, we never really got the answer from any of the mediums talking to the ghost. Her, Her husband had been thrown out, so he was in the area, but she still did an evening walk on the beach with her boyfriend. And the next morning, she was found stabbed in the back, and the boyfriend was unconscious, uh, was found unconscious. So the assumption is the husband is the one who did it. We're not 100% sure, but that's who we, we think did it. Within a week, a woman in a blue dress was seen walking up and down the beach, and then eventually up on the, there was a little hill next to the restaurant, and then within a couple weeks, she was seen occasionally in the restaurant and also in the hotel. And she became very quickly known as the Blue Lady, which is the legend that stuck for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I got involved in it, I can't believe it's been this long. 1991 was my first investigation there. And 
I was there with Japanese television um, and a Japanese medium by the name of Aiko Givo, who had, had immediate conversations with, the, with this woman. And we got a name for her, first name for her. Um, this <clears throat> led me to really getting interested in the case because we also had a local historian who provided us information. And we were very fortunate that there were people on the staff as well as locals at that time when I first got involved who had had experiences with the Blue Lady, um, who we came to know as Elizabeth Clare. And eventually her name, because of another medium, Annette Martin, who I used to work with, uh, she decided to change her name because she liked, didn't like the name that was associated with her old life. She's now known as Kate. Uh, she was very cooperative from the very beginning, and nobody was ever afraid of her. Uh, but the the incidents that were reported included things like women being in the ladies' room and looking up and seeing somebody standing next to them, a woman in a blue dress, and they turned and looked to the side. Uh, they saw her in the mirror, but they didn't see her standing next to them. Wow. Hmm. So that kind of freaked her out, freaked them out. Uh, in the 70s, she started moving things. Actually, the previous owners, uh, Pat and uh, Dave Anderson, reported, because they were living on the property, they reported her move, moving things helpfully for Pat. In fact, Pat said that there were many times she was doing paperwork, and a pencil or pen or some other thing, like a checkbook, would float down in front of her when she needed it. So she was extremely helpful. And even the first night that we were there with a Japanese medium, we asked her, uh, after a lengthy conversation Mrs. Gibo, the Japanese medium, had with her, um, in which Mrs. Gibo showed, pulled out some fashion magazines and showed the ghosts some, some pictures, which didn't really connect in my mind until a couple months later. But the ghost actually did some physical things for us, including opening a door multiple times for us uh, on request. Uh, there was a back door that had a push bar in it, so you could see the push bar go in, and the door opened up, and there was nobody outside. Wow. So that was pretty, pretty cool. <clears throat> then a few months later, we started getting calls from the restaurant, and I started going back there because it turned out that they were wondering why there might be another ghost there. Um, several people reported a woman now in a short black cocktail dress, like a very modern dress, which they didn't immediately associate with her. But one of the witnesses who had seen her multiple times before, one of the neighbors of the restaurant, said it was her because she recognized the face. And it turned out that's who it was. She had changed her clothing because Mrs. Gibo had given her fashion advice. Interesting. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. So it, it, it's been a really interesting case. Over the years, she um, <clears throat> participated in a number of events that we did there. Um, I did things with Annette Martin, my late investigative psych, uh, partner, who's a psychic medium. And we got some really interesting historical facts that we could not verify immediately. But as it turned out, we did find records or found people who remembered these events that were not really, uh, we couldn't find in, in newspaper accounts. Mm -hmm. So we, we really had some good information. And I even had in my own personal experience, a couple of them with her. One where we were doing an overnight investigation, and 
I was alone in the bar area late at night. There were a lot of people in the bar in the restaurant. I had a whole group of people throughout the restaurant, but I was alone in the bar area, and I felt myself being something passing through me multiple times, back and forth. And in my mind's eye, it was her. So I felt like I was being walked through with something very giggly. And around the corner after two and a half minutes of this, because I just let it happen, uh, <clears throat> Annette and two other psychics came around, and they all saw her doing that, walking through me. And uh, I separated them all. They they all described the same clothing, the same jewelry, the same hairdo. Uh, it was just kind of an interesting kind of connection for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lloyd, you mentioned your late colleague, Annette Martin. Uh, yeah. He has also um, previously been on the show. Have you had any communication uh, with her? Actually, yes. Um, Annette passed away in 2011. God bless her. And not too long after that, um, we were doing, I think this, my recollection is this is the first time she communicated, but uh, we were having a Forever Family Foundation board meeting. And part of our board meeting, our annual board meeting, is... <clears throat> to have a, our medium advisory board, which is uh, at least three members of the, of the board, sit down and connect with our what's called our auxiliary board. Uh, the foundation, when it was formed, decided to have a couple of advisory boards. One is a financial advisory board. We have a scientific advisory board. And there's an, an auxiliary board, which is composed of the spirits of relatives of people on the board, mm. past and present. So we asked the advisory board through the mediums to give us advice on which direction we should take the foundation. Interesting. And what, what, what ended up happening is um, it was um, Diana, um, Angelina, it was uh, Janet Mayer, and Laura Lynn Jackson. And the three of them are sitting there, and I think it was Janet who just looked up for a minute and said, there's somebody here who's not on the board. <laughs> and she says, She's here for Lloyd. Now, none of them knew Annette. They knew I had worked with Annette, but they didn't know Annette. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, all three of them are talking, or Annette's talking through all, th- or two or through all three of them. And it was really interesting because they were saying things that absolutely referred to me, some, some really good advice for the foundation, which sounded just like her. And actually, in some instances, one medium would start a sentence, another would go in the middle of the sentence, and the third would finish the sentence. Interesting. So it was it was pretty interesting to have that. And since that time, she's come through uh, Sandra O'Hara, who's an Irish medium I've worked with quite a bit. In fact, I'll be doing an event with her at a haunted hotel here in the Bay Area on Halloween. Uh, she's visiting the States, uh, and she's come through a couple of other mediums from the Forever Family Foundation. So she's made her presence known for sure. Mm-hmm. Lloyd, I've I've given talks to groups of people where they talk about um, some of the ghost reality shows. And I mentioned um, a conversation that you and I have had where some of these shows, to spice up the action, want people to basically lie about what they've experienced. And uh, if you could, uh, as a person that's got a lot of background in media and whose father was in broadcast... If you could have a, a soapbox to talk to these ghost reality producers right now, what would you say to them? Well, first thing I'd say, first thing I should tell everybody here is that 
they don't really care about the truth. They're mm-hmm. producing entertainment shows. Um, I don't know that any of the producers really, at least initially when they started the shows, had any interest other than to produce a show that was going to make money. So it's it's not about them trying to do something that is credible or right. So that's important right off the bat. So what I tell them is that they're missing a big piece of things. You know, granted, scaring people always works to get ratings. But you know what? There's so many people who've had experiences that if you just let people tell their stories, you might actually, number one, have a good ghost story uh, for the show. And people love good ghost stories. And number two, you'd get more phenomena happening. Uh, I've had more things happen. My folks, uh, the people I work with, my students, my colleagues, we've had more things happening on cases than you ever see on the shows, simply because we approach these cases with humanity rather than fear or mm-hmm. insanity. Actually, it's uh, some of what it is. <laughs> uh, if if you were to go in the Bay Area and... Uh, go to a location that has been really prone to uh, hauntings, to have people experiencing voices, apparitions, etc. Where might that be? Well, there's a couple of locations. The, uh, the, the Mossage Distillery has settled down. That's not as, not as act, She's not as active there. So I would strongly <clears throat> point people to the USS Hornet Aircraft Carrier Museum, which is in Alameda, California, near Oakland. Uh, because the the carrier, which is not only historically significant, uh, has had a huge amount of activity. There's probably at least 50 different ghosts that have been seen there of sailors and officers, mm-hmm. and it's still very, very active. So that's one place. Uh, another fun place to go is the Queen Anne Hotel. People have stayed there in San Francisco. It's an old Victorian hotel, and a little girl who died of um, tuberculosis back in the late 1800s, is the main ghost there, mostly active, but also the woman who ran the school that the girl was uh, enrolled in, because the building was a school at that time. Um, she, Mary, so she is also fairly active as well, and people have reported seeing and, and hearing her and uh, both of them and kind of having things happen there. So those are two really good places. Uh, if you want to be freaked out, I'd go to Alcatraz, although there's really not any al- any ghosts there, per se. There, It's just, it feels it feels weird. It feels like a prison, and it's got some very, very odd vibes, and that's all because of what we call the haunting or residual psychic impressions, you might say. I read an article, Lloyd, that from memory, it can only say that it was alleged that there was at least one guy that actually escaped and was able to swim that channel. Do you put any credence in that? I don't know. I mean, I think it was three people that okay. uh, had an escape, okay. and <clears throat> nobody ever heard from them again. So whether they actually made it out alive, I mean, they probably did try to swim. Um, there have been people who have done it, you know, people, athletes who have done it just as a challenge. So it's possible that they did it, just nobody ever heard from them again, so we don't really know what happened to mm-hmm. them. Uh, this is Lloyd Arbach, and Lloyd also teaches classes online through the Ryan Education Center. And uh, uh, any classes that are going on now or contemplated for the near future? We are just finishing up our classes. Uh, I have uh, I just finished my Developing Your Intuition class, and we are finishing up the Scientific Approach to ESP class. 
I'm you know, we're starting our next classes in February. That's my class. It'll probably be an investigations class. Uh, we haven't really decided on the topics for the mm-hmm. classes yet, but I'll have a class, and John Cruth will also have a class mm-hmm. as well. He's the executive director, and he's a really good teacher as well. That would be the um, Rhine, R-H-I-N-E, educationcenter.org, and information should pop up there for you. Uh, right. And then uh, tell us a little bit about the Forever Family Foundation and how did you get connected with them? Well, the Forever Family Foundation is an organization that supports the work of spirit mediums and the family grieving process. We uh, have a certification process for mediums, which is both looking at their abilities and also their character. And we also support the, the research and education of, uh, with folks who do work in research on the evidence for life after death. Kind of supportive of that. Uh, it's a free. It's an organization one can join for free. Although we love donations, it's foreverfamilyfoundation.org, and we publish a twice a year magazine called Signs of Life. Uh, sponsor a weekly radio show uh, called Signs of Life, which is on uh, every Thursday night, uh, radio and podcasting. And I got hooked up with Bob and Fran Ginsburg and the folks at the foundation back. In, I think I met them first in 2005 at a conference um, in Durham, North Carolina on survival of bodily death that I was speaking at. Uh, and we kind of hit it off, and I stayed in touch with them, saw them at a couple of other conferences after that. And they invited me to be on the scientific advisory board, and then they had me speak at a couple conferences. The first one I spoke at for them was here in San Francisco in 2008, and our conferences, which are now every other year, so the next one will be next November in Fort Myers, Florida, is a combination of um, the practice of mediumship and the science looking, behind, looking at mediumship and survival of bodily death. So we usually have mediums doing gallery readings, but also mediums talking about their experiences. And then myself and a few of our colleagues also speak, are speakers on the research and what the evidence is for life after death. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's, the foundation really does both the science and the practice around mediumship and really is very supportive of a lot of work. I understand we have also a lot, a lot of members a, all over the world right now. That there is a um, listing on the website of certified mediums. Right. Yeah, there is. Uh, so that when people go through the certification process, um, they get listed on the website so you know that you're getting somebody good. Most of them can do either phone phone and or Skype readings, so they don't have to be there with you. Um, some of them have gotten very busy because their books have come out and have become incredibly popular, people like Laura Lynn Jackson, who's an amazing medium. And uh, the, you know, the mediums give back to us, too. You know, these are not, they're not just doing it to be on the website. They are... Uh, participating for free. This is an all-volunteer organization. Nobody gets paid to do the lectures or to do the gallery readings or to participate. And actually, I've been impressed by the fact that some of the mediums don't even do, they come to the, the conferences on their own dime. They don't do the readings. They don't do any readings at all. What they do is they're, they're helping with running the conference. They're volunteers to run the conference. So they really do support this organization and give back quite a bit. Is the uh, the website is at foreverfamilyfoundation.org? That is correct. Okay. Uh, in our closing minutes, Lloyd, do you have another ghost story for us? 
I can tell you a very a short one that uh, actually was relate, related to me, I, I think would be kind of interesting. Uh, this was a, uh, somebody I met actually at the Joan Rivers show years ago who had a producer, TV producer friend, who was driving along a windy road in California and his, with his German Shepherd, and his car went off the road. Um, he hit the turn the wrong way. It went off the road, and he flipped over. The car flipped over. Oh, God. Uh, he was trapped inside the car, but the dog was able to get out. At least he heard the dog barking right outside the car. And he, he for whatever reason, this guy, just I guess the, either the dog was trained or he just had watched too many episodes of Lassie, but he told the dog to go get help. So he hears the dog running and running away from the car, running up the hill to the, to the road and barking in, in the distance, barking in the road. And a few minutes later, he hears cars stop and hears people coming down. And they were able to um, move the car enough. Several people had stopped. They moved the car enough to pull him out, get his seatbelt cut and pull him out. <clears throat> but what he saw, you know, as, you know, the people were saying, I'm glad, we're glad your dog stopped us. And as they continued to move the car, they found the corpse of the dog. The dog had been crushed under the car. So wow. the last act of that dog was to save his master's life. Wow, what a story, Lloyd. Um, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. I imagine you've been very busy. And tell the audience again the event you've got coming up on Halloween. So for anybody who's here in the Bay Area, we still have tickets. Um, it is a Halloween evening re gallery reading at the Haunted Union Hotel in Benicia, California. That's outside of San Francisco. It's an old, old Gold Rush hotel. And the, the medium, Sandra O'Hara, is going to be doing the reading. And uh, we're asking people to come in costume because it's dinner. It's dinner and a medium <laughs> kind of thing. And if folks are interested, they can always email me, and I can send them the information. Um, and that's my email is profparanormal, prof is in professor, so profparanormal at gmail.com, and I'm happy to send you the info on that, because we still have about 10 seats left right now, if you're in the Bay Area. Okay, Lloyd, I hope your power stays on, and thank you again for uh, all the work in the past and, and work to come. I appreciate you and your work. Take care, Scott. Happy Halloween. Thank you, Lloyd. Same to you. Lloyd Arbach, and uh, he teaches classes online through the Ryan Education Center, uh, and... Um, profparanormal at gmail.com is how you can reach him by email. Okay, Jim, do you have um, maybe a story of your, of your own, or would you like to hear one more from me? Let's hear one more from you, Scott. You've got so many. Okay, well, this is either the relative cousin or brother of the vanishing man mm -hmm. from Highway 77, okay. only this is now on East O Street. <clears throat> so... This is a woman who lived in Eagle, mm -hmm. and she's driving back from Lincoln back to Eagle, uh, and she's on East O Street. Didn't really see anything until she got to about the entrance for the Hillcrest Country Club. Okay. It's between 11.30 and 12 midnight. And uh, suddenly she sees standing in her lane a man who quite literally is dressed as a swashbuckler pirate. Oh, neat. He's got tall boots on, a shirt with ruffled cuffs, ruffles down the uh, front. And where did he come from? He's standing right in the middle of her lane with his arms crossed, staring them. at her. 
So she swerves the car to avoid hitting him. She gets control of the car and looks back in the mirror, and in neither of the lanes is the man. She said, uh, I've never seen him again, but I will never forget what he looks like. So I floated that story, and a friend of mine who also lives in Eagle, she said, well, in the mid to late 1990s, she was driving from Eagle to Lincoln on a Tuesday morning, very early in the morning. And she got to about roughly the Stevens Creek and 120th area, driving east from Eagle to Lincoln. She came upon a man walking in the North Ditch. And as she got abreast of him, she looked over, and uh, he was walking with his head down. He had shoulder-length hair, so it was partially obscuring his face. He was wearing a dark, tan suit, and when he lifted a foot, she saw he was barefoot. Hmm. And as she drove by, she started having a really sick feeling in her stomach that something was going on. And at first she thought intellectually, well, maybe this is just a guy who is walking back to Lincoln from a drunken wedding party. Then she said, wait a minute, this is Tuesday morning. I doubt that there's been many wedding parties on a Monday night. Yeah, that does and sound unusual. She kept him in her rearview mirror, and she said, I'm going to go back. So she got to about 120th. She pulled off, and after checking traffic both ways, she turned around, and he was gone. gone. So she wow. drove back and forth over that section of East O Street. She said, there's no ditch there, so he couldn't have been hiding in that ditch. Mm -hmm. No trees. He wasn't uh, uh, playing hide-and-seek. She has no idea where he went. So after driving back and forth two or three times, she went ahead and, and turned once more and, and went to Lincoln to, to work. So now we have Highway 77, vanishing men at Highway 77 in Sotillo, and we also have two reports now from East O Street. That's interesting. Years ago, a friend of mine related to me a story. Uh, southeast of Lincoln on a country road, one dark and windy night, he sees three gentlemen standing in the ditch, looking off in the distance, kind of gesturing at something, dressed in older, old-timey old kind of clothes. Mm -hmm. As he gets closer, he notices that he can see the tree limbs blowing in the wind through the figures... Ooh. And interesting thing about ditches, he noticed that they were not standing in the ditch. They were actually above the ditch where the land would have been before the ditch was there. Mm -hmm. So kind of floating and kind also of, seeing of, the, the trees moving yeah. through them. And uh, he uh, he increased his speed and hurried on past mm -hmm. and uh, never saw them again. It, you know, it's amazing what we see when we decide to just look around us and be curious. Well, and a couple of days ago, a co-worker related to me, people that live in Northeast Lincoln or travel through there, his daughter on their way home from a extracurricular practice saw near a stop sign a figure of a woman 
with old time clothes and a black veil. Of course, she wasn't really there. And my first reaction was, my friend, you may have a Clara Mills sighting on your hands. And I'm going to get more details on that one. So stay tuned. The famous ghost of Nebraska Wesleyan. Yes, it was near Wesleyan. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jim, thank you for being here. Great fun. uh, We just discovered that we have almost depleted our phone cards. Pretty much, yeah. That we use to call our guests. So... If you guys and gals out there listening live and also to the archive, if you enjoy these long-distance phone hookups with our guests, we did three of them this morning, uh, please do consider contributing a phone card. And uh, what's the uh, Zaptel? Zaptel is one. Is a brand that we like a lot. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you need more information on how to do that, you can reach me. I'm pretty easy to track down. And we'd like to thank you also publicly for that donation. So... Uh, let's keep those phone cards coming in so we can keep the uh, the guests going. And uh, stay tuned for Beta Radio. Do you want to walk over to this blue mic right here and tell <laughs> folks who you are? Okay, good. Hello, everybody. This is Kellen. And for Beta Radio today, I'm going to be bringing you the next installment of my uh, show, my concept show, American Music. Cool. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Interesting, so- interesting topic today. Sometime off air, we'll have to talk about my personal ghost experiences. Oh, yes. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that, Kellen. Cool. Okay, folks, thanks so much for listening to our special ghost story show. Thanks to Brent Rains, APMagazine.info, Del Kazmarek, GhostResearch.org, Lloyd Arbach, the Ryan Education Center.org. Thank you so much for them for being on the show today. And uh, I wish you a pleasant Halloween. According to the forecast, we may need to put on a couple of layers. going to be chilly. If we're going to be out and about. So we'll talk to you next week. I'll be live from Laughlin, Nevada at the Starworks USA UFO Symposium. And won't that be fun? It will. You'll be up here bundled up. I'll be walking around in about 85-degree weather. So looking forward to it. Stay tuned for Kellen and Beta Radio. On behalf of Jim and Scott, 